At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today, we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series that have been based out of the book of Revelation. If you've been with us here at Wildwood in 2022, you know that for the last 10 months, we've been walking through this book of Revelation. And we have seen throughout our study that it is a revelation of who? It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we have seen Jesus revealed as the Lord of the church in the first three chapters. We've seen him revealed as the Lord of heaven in the next two. We've seen him revealed as the Lord of the earth in chapters 6 through 18. And then in the last four chapters of the scripture, we have seen him revealed as the Lord of the new heaven and the new earth. You know, our objective as we have looked at this book is to receive it as God intended. And that is for us to get a fresh picture of Jesus so that we might be encouraged to trust him and to walk with him more and more. And in the last nine weeks, we have been looking specifically at how Jesus is the Lord of the new heaven and the new earth. He's the Lord of eternity. He has prepared a place for us that we might be with him there forever and ever and ever. And we have been looking at that over the last number of weeks. Today, we're going to be in the ninth installment, the final installment, looking at the last eight verses of our Bibles in Revelation 22, verses 14 through 21. Now, before we look at those verses, I I just want to acknowledge that as we conclude our study of the book of Revelation, um, it's hard for me not to reflect on the entire book and think about the, the big truths that God has been teaching us about Christ through it all. And specifically, a couple of quotes helped me this week really anchor these truths and how we might be responding to them as a people together. One of them comes from John Walvoord, who says this. He says, probably no other book of Scripture more sharply contrasts the blessed lot of the saints with the fearful future of those who are lost. No other book of the Bible is more explicit in its description of judgment on the one hand and the saints' eternal bliss on the other. What a tragedy that so many pass by this book and fail to fathom its wonderful truths, thereby impoverishing their knowledge and hope in Christ Jesus. Friends, it's our hope that we don't have an impoverished faith because we ignore or neglect this great book that God has given to us. And so we have dove in and, and we have seen those contrasts, haven't we? The contrast between the blessing that God is offering us and the consequences when we reject it. Well, I'm also reminded of this quote from Michael Wilcock. He says, in Revelation, in it, Jesus has given to it to us as a sacrament of the imagination. What, what, what a great picture, a sacrament of the imagination. To quicken the pulse and set the soul aflame over the gospel, which all too often we take for granted. Friends, my hope this morning as we prepare to conclude our study is that our pulse might quicken a bit, that our hearts might be set aflame as we see a picture of Christ and what he is offering each and every one of us. We're going to see that today as we look at these last nine or last eight verses in our Bibles, verses 14 through 21. If you've got a Bible Take it and turn there. I want to read them for us, and then after that, I'll make a couple of observations. 
Chapter 22 of Revelation, beginning in verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, friends, in these verses, I want us to see a couple of things today. So what's the first thing I want us to see? The first thing I want to see is this. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. Now, this idea of, of blessing is, is one that I think is a desire of everyone who is a pastor. As a pastor, it is a, it is a desire that your people be blessed, that they be led into good pastures where their souls could be nourished, good living waters so that their souls might be refreshed. This is really the desire that I have each time I come to the pulpit is that you might be encouraged, that you might be blessed with God's word. But I, I think of that even more explicitly as I come to today's passage. I, it reminds me of, of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, he says, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Friends, it is for your joy, it is for your blessing that we look to these verses today because there is a blessing that is offered to you inside of these verses. So we see these verses beginning with the word blessed. There is a, a group of people who are blessed. Well, how is this group of people blessed? The passage illuminates at least a couple of different ways that this group of people are blessed. The first way they are blessed is that they have the right to the tree of life. Now, friends, in your Bibles, where did we first learn of the tree of life? All the way back in which book? All the way back in Genesis. Isn't it interesting how the last book of the Bible reminds us that there is one author, Genesis to Revelation. It points all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis, there was a Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were created and placed inside of that garden. And they had access to this tree that allowed them to live out their purpose, living in relationship with God eternally, in perfect fellowship with him. But then they sinned. And when they sinned, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and restricted access to that tree. But what we see in Revelation is that in the eternal state, there are a group of people who are blessed who have access to that tree once again. That means that it is possible for you and I to live the life that we were created to live. It's possible for us to live in perfect relationship and fellowship with God forever. 
That's what is pointed at and hinted at with the picture of this tree of life. But even more interesting is that he says, not only is there the right to the tree of life, but also the blessed may enter the city by the gates. See, the blessed don't have to enter into, remember in the eternal state, there's a city, this new Jerusalem, that new Jerusalem city inside of it, God resides. The city has a number of gates around it that are guarded by angels. By saying that we may enter the city by the gates, it's a reminder that we get to enter because we have been invited to enter. We don't enter into the eternal state because we snuck over the wall or we dug a tunnel underneath it. Friends, we enter the eternal city by invitation. Each of these gates guarded by an angel. When we go walking in, they don't look the other way. They look at us and they nod. Oh, that's right. You're with him. You're with Jesus. Come on in to this city. Friends, we enter eternity not by accident. We enter eternity because we have been invited by a God who loves us and who wants to be with us forever. We are invited to live out the purpose for which humanity was created and to live it out forever and ever and ever. Amen? That's what it means to be blessed. But who is it that are blessed? Who is it that are blessed in these ways? Everyone? No, not everyone. Only some. So which are the ones who are blessed in this way? Well, the passage tells us. Blessed are the ones who wash their robes. Not the ones who live the perfect life, not the ones who perform spiritually at an optimal level, but those who have washed their robes. Now, what does this tell us? If if what is the requirement for entering eternity is that our robes are washed, what does that tell us about everyone's robe? That they're clean or dirty? That they're dirty. Implied in this verse is that all of us have a dirty robe. All of us have a life that has fallen short of God's perfection. Some have sinned this way, others have sinned that way, but all of us who have lived on this earth have a robe that is stained and dirty. We enter into the blessed eternal state not because we have lived a perfect life, but because we have found a way for our robes to be washed. Now, how are our robes washed? Well, this is not the first time we've seen this expression, is it? Think back to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14. They have washed their robes and made them white. How? In the blood of the Lamb. It was Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice on our behalf, that washes our sins clean, that allows us to be forgiven by God. This idea wasn't even original to the book of Revelation. This goes all the way back. Think about the the, the promise in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God has made a way, friends, for those of us with stains on our garment, which is all of us to have our garments cleansed and made perfectly white. Now, will everyone take advantage of this? Well, no. 
That's why verse 15 describes that there are a group of people who will be excluded from access to the tree, who will be excluded from being, in, being able to enter through the gates, who will be separated from God forever. Well, who are those? Well, it says they are the ones who are, who are dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now, before we go much further, I, I need to, to provide a point of clarity. Some of you see this and are thinking, is God more of a cat person? that neglected from the heavenly city are the dogs, but, but the cats, can they come in? I mean, is that really what the idea is? No, that's, that's not the idea. The word dog here is a, a bit of a euphemism talking about sinful humanity. Dogs in the first century were not cuddly house pets. They were scavengers. They were ones who followed their nose and did whatever they wanted to do. They became a picture of sinfulness. So, the sinfulness of humanity that stains our garments, whether it's practicing false religion, whether it's committing sexual sins, whether it's expressing our anger to the detriment of those around us, whether it's worshiping fake gods or any other kind of sinfulness. If our garments are stained and they are not washed in the blood of Christ, then we do not get to be one of the blessed. That's what this passage is indicating, that there are some who will be excluded on that day. Everyone won't be saved in the end. Only those who have had their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. But friends, know that the heart of God is that our robes would be cleansed. That is the heart of God. It's interesting, Jesus says in Revelation twenty two twenty, I'm coming soon. And, and we might respond to that by saying, well, your definition, Jesus, of soon is different from mine because you said this and then 2,000 years have gone by and you have not come back yet. And that's true. Jesus' understanding of soon is different than ours. But we need to ask the question, why is it that Jesus has delayed? Why is it that he's delayed? Well, he is delayed because he is desiring that we come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is it that Jesus has not returned yet? This passage tells us because he wants to give you an opportunity to repent. This is what Jesus is doing. He is delaying his return so that we might turn to him. He's giving us a chance. Now, how does Jesus give us that chance? Well, he wants the message of the gospel to reach every ear on earth. He wants us to hear and be invited to come and to place our faith and trust in him. I love what verse 17 says. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Now, now, What is being talked about there? Well, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit right now in this age is at work in this world drawing men and women to Christ. Do you realize if you're here this morning and you have not yet trusted in Christ, but you feel a stirring in your soul, there is something appealing about this message and you are leaning in and you are are preparing to trust Christ and to follow him with your life. Do you realize that that is not a product of the persuasion coming from the microphone? That's the work of the spirit of God in and around your life. 
The Holy Spirit is at work right now around you saying, come, come, come. And, and how is the Spirit doing that? Well, it's doing it right now through the work of who? Through the work of the bride. Now, who is the bride? The bride is the church. Right now, as we gather as the people of God, we are trusting the Spirit of God to be at work around you to draw men and women to himself. That's what God is doing right now in this age. At work through the church, at at work through the Spirit, inviting those that have not yet trusted in Christ to come and to trust in him. Now, it is a hymn that we are invited to come to. It's, it's not an invitation to come to a building or to a religious movement, though churches have buildings and they are movements, but ultimately it is the person of Jesus that you are invited to come to. Jesus right now is at work through the Spirit and through the church inviting you to come to himself. It is Jesus who is inviting us to come and to place our trust in him. And it, this is emphasized by the fact that Jesus here is saying this, this is a message for the churches. Now, this word church has been absent from the book of Revelation since chapter 3. You realize that? It's been absent. But here it is coming back all the way in chapter 22. Why the return to this word? Well, I think it's a reminder that this invitation is to be given inside of the church. It's to be given right now in this age that we are currently living in, to invite people to come and to place their faith and trust in Christ, to come to him. Now, the identity of Jesus is further elaborated in the second half of this verse. Remember, Jesus himself is speaking, so how does he describe himself in the second half of this verse? Well, he describes himself this way. First of all, he describes himself as the root and the descendant of David. Now, why is it that he would describe himself in that way? And isn't it kind of a strange way to describe yourself? The root and the descendant? The one who fathered and the one who is the child of? Now, that, that is really odd. See, I, I am the son of Dick Robinson. I cannot say that I am both the father of Dick Robinson and the son of Dick Robinson. That is a human impossibility. But it's not an impossible thing for God. Jesus wasn't just another guy. He was the son of God, fully God and fully man, so that he could be both the one who was the root of David, the one who led to King David, who led Israel at its height, and also the one who was a descendant of David, who would sit on David's throne forever and ever. The idea of being the root of David was talked about in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1 that there would be a root of Jesse, one who would lead to David, who would lead God's people. And the idea of being the descendant of David harkens us back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 when God gave a promise that one of the descendants of David would sit on his throne forever and ever and ever. And that, of course, was Jesus. So Jesus here describes himself as fully God and fully man, the, the one who was both the root and the descendant of David. But in doing so, Not only is he highlighting his role as son of God and fully man, but but also, friends, he, he is doing so to highlight his role inside of the Old Testament. The Old Testament primarily describes the Old Covenant, 
between God and the nation of Israel. And the, the pinnacle of the nation of Israel was during their time under the reign of King David. And so by showing his connection to David, what Jesus is saying is, I am the one to whom the Old Testament scriptures pointed to. Now, that's really interesting given that the book of Revelation and these verses are some of the last verses in the scripture, an appropriate conclusion. Hey, all of those 39 books, they pointed to Christ. That's the idea. But then he continues, not just the root and the descendant of David, but also, friends, the bright morning star, the bright morning star. In the dawn of the new day of the New Testament, who rises? Jesus Christ. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, talked about one day a star would rise. When Jesus is born in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, what is found in the sky? A new star. When Jesus returns, what will he do? He will illuminate the new heaven and the new earth in his own identity and person. By referring to himself as the bright morning star, Jesus is saying, I'm not only the one to whom the Old Testament points, but I'm the one to whom the New Testament points, and I will be the one who will be sovereign over eternity. Jesus here is inviting people to come to himself, and he is reminding us that he is the one that all the Scripture talks about. Now, given that understanding, it should not surprise us what is said in verses 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Is this just a warning to be careful in how we interpret the bowl and trumpet judgments? Or is it something more? Friends, what does the book of Revelation reveal? Who does it reveal? Jesus Christ. What does the Old Testament point to? Jesus Christ. What does the New Testament reveal to us? Jesus Christ. Friends, for us to reject this book is for us to reject Christ. For us to change this book in some way is for us to reduce, not to add to, but to diminish or to take away from the greatness and the glory of Christ. That is why this warning is given, for us to understand that it is Jesus himself who is revealed on these pages, and we are invited to come to him. Now, I love how this, this verse ends. He says, come and let the one who is thirsty come. What is the requirement for us to come to, to Jesus for salvation and for, for life? It's not to have lived a perfect life. It's just to be thirsty let the one who is thirsty come. Not the one who is perfect, the one who is thirsty. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We do not pay for it with our good works. We do not pay for it with our offerings. Jesus paid for it with his life. We receive it by faith. Friends, this is what Christ is, is offering to us, the ones who are thirsty. And so let me, let me ask you, friends, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you, are you here today and, and have you never trusted in Christ? And so as you sit there this morning, you are thirsty. You're, you're thirsty for forgiveness. 
The thought of, of all of the sins that you've ever committed being represented as stains on your robe is something that causes you to, to shirk back in fear. Jesus says, I want to cleanse that robe and make it white and perfect forever. Come to me. Are you here today and, and you long for hope? This world is just stamping on you like a heel on a bug. And you just long for there to be some kind of hope. Jesus says, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing a place just for you. Your best days are not behind you. They're in front of you. Come to me. Are, are, are you thirsty for a new identity? Need, to, need a new beginning, a new start, connected to, to an eternal future, not to a messed up past. Jesus says, come to me and I will make you a new creation. Are you here today and you're looking for true meaning and purpose? You're trying to figure out what this whole life is all about. And Jesus said, life was intended to be lived in relationship and fellowship with God. Come to me and I will give you that forever. Are you you here today and you, you long for justice and righteousness and you don't know where that is to be found? And Jesus says, hey, when I come back, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to set everything right. Come to Jesus. And so, friends, I... We got more I'm going to say, but I, I just want us to take a moment and bow our heads because I know that this morning there are probably some of you here today or, or listening or watching online who have, have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, and you are here today and your soul is thirsty. If that's the case, pray along with me and come to Jesus and allow him to nourish your soul. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that the thirst that we have, you can quench. Lord, thank you that you can offer forgiveness and hope and life. Lord, I, I, I pray that each and every one who hears my voice, that they would come to you, that the Spirit would work and draw them to yourself, that you would give them the faith to lean in and to trust in you, and rely on Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins and for their hope for eternity. And that we would leave this moment walking in obedience, following you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, friends, there is a way to be blessed. But there's a second thing that I want us to see in these verses. And that second thing is this, not just to be blessed, but also to live forward. To, to live leaning towards eternity, not stuck back in the past, but leaning forward in what God has for us. Now, I want to remind us that in Revelation chapter 1, the first couple of verses, we're reminded that this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. I didn't make that phrase up that I've made you say for 30 Sundays now. It's found right there at the beginning of this letter. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a testimony about Jesus by Jesus. Jesus has revealed himself to us. This same kind of language we've seen here in chapter 22, verse 20. He who testifies. It was Jesus who testifies about himself. Jesus has revealed something about himself to us that he wants us to know. And that thing that he wants us to know is that he is coming soon. He's coming back. He wants us to live our lives leaning forward. And so he tells us he's returning so that we can live in light of the reality that he is coming again one day. Now, 
If we hear that message, what is the appropriate way for us to respond? Well, the Apostle John models it for us, doesn't he? He says, amen. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And John says, amen. In other words, absolutely. And then he follows it up with a prayer. Come, Jesus, come now. We're ready. Come. John is saying, I'm going to live my life forward in light of the reality that you are coming again one day, Jesus. I'm going to be quick to share my faith because I know that my neighbor will one day have to give an account for their life to you, and I want them to trust in Christ even as I have. A desire for us to live our lives in obedience to Christ, knowing that one day we ourselves will stand before him. John is living his life forward. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And even as we've gone through this study, I want to give you a chance. In light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon, can we say this together? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is our desire. It's our hope. We want to live forward, live in light of this reality. Warren Wiersbe summarizes a proper response of living forward by saying these words, he says, a true understanding of Bible prophecy should both motivate us to obey God's word and to share God's invitation with a lost world. Friends, how, how do we respond to all of this? I mean, this is not just a response to this message, to the entire series, to all of the book of Revelation. How do we respond? We respond by leaning in and following and obeying him. And we respond by having an urgency in the way that we share the gospel with others. Friends, this is where it is headed. Are we living our lives attached to the past? Or are we living our lives leaning and living forward? This is what we've seen inside of these verses. Now, as, as we end this series, I, I want us to look at the very last verse of the Bible, the last verse that is in our Bible. And and how does the last verse begin? The what? The grace. The grace. It is God in his grace that has reached out to us. It is God in his grace that has made himself known to us. It is God in his grace that has, has made a way for us to be forgiven. It is God in his grace that has made a way for us to be reconciled to him forever and ever. And so in a very appropriate way, The last verse of the Bible begins with the grace. And that grace is found where? In our Lord Jesus, who came to us and died for us and rose again for us and is coming back for us and has invited us to be with him in his father's house forever and ever. Friends, this is the the summary of the entire message of the scripture. And this is something that is available to all. Amen. Now, the way that we're going to end this series is we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so at this time, I want to invite the team that's going to be helping to distribute to go ahead and move into place. Um, And and as they prepare to come forward, I want to talk about just how appropriate it is for us to to end this time with the Lord's Supper. Because in the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the grace of our Lord Jesus. We're remembering what he did for us on the cross, that 
made it possible for our robes to be cleansed and for us to be connected to him forever. But, but also, as we, we hold these physical elements in our hands, we're reminded of the fact that one day we will physically see and be with Jesus again one day. And so as we come forward to grab these elements and prepare to eat and drink of them together, I want to also just have us sing a song. And this is a song that you probably have, have never heard before. Um, and you might be going, well, great. That's a great invitation to sing. But here's the thing. Though you've never sung it, it will be somewhat familiar to you. Because it's, it's not hard to sing. The, the melody is, is simple. But the truth is powerful. It talks about how we don't know all of what the Lord is doing today. That's true, right? Things happen to us. We wonder, well, why did that happen? We don't know. We don't know why the things happen the way they happen right now. But we know what Jesus has done for us. And we know how the story will end. And so on the basis of those things, we receive the grace of God and we trust him for his provision in eternity. And so after I pray, and as we prepare to sing, I would invite you to come forward Uh, Dave and Kelly will move down and invite you to come forward a row at a time. As you get the elements and return down the outside aisles to your seat, hang on to them until everyone has been served. Then we will eat and drink together um, before we conclude our time. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for just this, this great truth, this great hope that we have on the basis of your grace and mercy. And we pray, dear Lord, that we would come to you each and every one of us, to have our robes cleansed and to find our hope for all, all time. Lord, thank you. We pray that you would give us a spirit of, of worship and remembrance as we come and, and celebrate these things now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.